Fankless Nation, welcome to an, another episode of State of the Nation. At least that's the format we're trying to keep here. But the guest today is just you and I, David. Mm-hmm. And and we are the guests. Just you, actually, because <laughs> I'm going to be uh, walking through a concept that you really wanted the Bankless Nation to understand. You think this is very powerful. The, the title of this episode and the theme is The Power to Mint Money. Mm-hmm. The Power to Mint Money. And I think, David, as I'm looking through what you've got prepared for us, kind of this, this agenda, um, you've identified some patterns that have been found in every single bull market to date, 2013, 2017, 2021, and 2022, how they've grown and also how they've fallen. And you're using that as a predictor, uh, a way to sort of understand the future, the next bull market, and how this cryptocurrency industry is going to evolve. So I think it's a, a powerful model that you're using and this, uh, this repeating uh, you know, pattern. But you tell us, what are we in store for in this episode? We're in store for a lot of things. I, I think this hopefully uh, turns into uh, a kind of episode that I think only Bankless can really produce, and which is why I'm really, really excited about this. This is one part, a history lesson about the history of the crypto industry thus far. What was the 2013 bull market like? What was the 2017 bull market like? And of course, what was the most recent bull market like? And what are the common denominators between all of those things? So if you only came in, Bankless listener, for the 2020 to 2021 bull market, this might be really useful to just take a snapshot in history about the bull markets that happened before your arrival. Uh, Ryan and I can speak very, uh, very well about the 2017 bull market. Uh, the 2013 bull market was bef- both before our times. However, it was, of course, much more simple to understand because of how early it was. Um, but understanding these things and then also understanding at very first principles what this whole crypto industry is based on. Can we can extend this forward into, again, what is the next bull market going to look like? But also just what does this mean for humans? And I'll give a little teaser here. Every single bull market is noted, is marked by a Cambrian explosion of assets. Because what is this industry based off of, Ryan? The free and open and permissionless ability for humans to mint assets, which is previously a superpower that was gated by uh, governments, monarchies, any sort of social elite, it's the 1%, if you will. Bankers? Bankers. Yeah, well, this also goes back to Roman times, where the concept of uh, coinage was even pr- produced in the first place. And leaders, like government leaders of, of the Roman Empire, would start to dilute uh, the value of their coin by adding in fake metals into gold to dilute them. So, like, the concept of seniorage and dilution of, of fiat of currency has been something baked into humans forever, but only the elites had this power. And for the first time in human history, humans have this power to mint new monies. And every time we express this power in the crypto industry, Ryan, bull markets happen. 2013, 2017, 2021, and I'm predicting 2025-ish, whenever the next bull market arises, you can bet that another Cambrian explosion of assets and asset minting will arrive. And we will go through this story and unpack every single nuance along the way. There it is. It's always been about tokens. Tokens. All the way down. Every single time. <laughs> every single time we've had a bull run, it's because of one thing. We've invented some new way to issue tokens. I think that's what you're saying here, David. Mm-hmm. Guys, uh, we're going to explore that. Um, but before we do, got to shout out our friends and sponsors over at... Um, all right, David, uh, give us a last tease. There's here. a comment like, in, the sh- in the YouTube. I need to read that, Ryan. Uh, 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 Sticks intern asks, can an AI like Ryan just do taxes automatically? <laughs> this is not for AIs, all right? This is for all the regular humans listening to this. <laughs> it's not for robots. We have other powers. I mean, robots have other powers. Um, why we, So why did you decide to put this together? Mm-hmm. Other than David... Um, Having a sick we guest had, that had to we cancel. Had a gas, yeah. guest ha- catch the flu this mm-hmm. morning and, and cancel last minute. Um, and then we're like, you know, who should we bring on as another guest? Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, I'm throwing my hand up. I want to be the guest because mm-hmm. I've got something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this so important to you? And what, what should listeners really look out for in this uh, this Professor David episode as we get into it? Yeah, classroom time with Bankless. Yeah, again, like I said, this is, I think, uh, an episode that I think you and I are particularly good, at, suited for, for uh, producing. It's talking about the crypto 
as the the details of it, the the details of this these last bull markets, but also going down to base principles of crypto is like what does crypto really unlock for humans? But we'll end with the, of course, the great line, with great power comes great responsibility. And this related to some of the uh, securities conversations that we also had at the beginning of this year, where like I got in trouble with the apes because I said everything, all apes are securities, implying that everything is a security. Which, Board apes, NFTs you're talking exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but then bringing up the broader conversation as like, guys, we want our assets to be bullish. And that is what a securities laws are. And so we have this newfound ability called being able to mint a token, mint an NFT, mint an ERC-20 token. And that power has previously been restricted and gatekept and controlled by the elites. Now we all have it. But we also need to understand that now that we have this power, with great power comes great responsibility. So how, as humans, as humanity, are we going to contend with the fact that we have this superpower that can be very destructive as well as very constructive. Uh, so some philosophy, some history, some crypto alpha. It's all baked into one, which is why I wanted to do this episode. Fun fact, by the way, did you know that David's uh, nickname in high school was Tobey Maguire? The <laughs> Spider-Man movies. Great power comes great responsibility. I learned that about mm-hmm. uh, 18 months ago about you, David, and I don't think I'll forget it. But guys, you're in for a special episode. We get you in the classroom today. Talk about all of these things. Talk about the power to mint money, what that means for the opportunities in crypto as well. Before we get into the episode, we want you to uh, stay tuned because we're going to talk about the sponsors that made this episode possible in particular. All right, David, let's dig into this. I I think the first question we have to establish and set the context for is this question of money. What is money? I think uh, if you've been a longtime Bankless listener, you've probably heard Ryan and I talk about this, but people think like, oh, money, it's the cash in your wallet, right? It's the number in your bank account. Uh, But we really like to get deep here on Bankless, of course. Uh, And so I'm going to pull out a quote from Yuval Noah Harari, who's uh, the author of the book Sapiens, which uh, I know, Ryan, it's one of yours, my favorite books. Uh, The quote goes, the story of money is more important to the evolution of society than religion, corporations, and a host of other human-imagined institutions. Money is probably the most successful story ever told. It has no objective value, but then you have these master storytellers, the big bankers, the finance ministers, and they come and tell you a very convincing story. Look at this piece of paper. It's actually worth 10 bananas. And that story works. Try telling that story to a chimpanzee. It won't work. When I, when I, so that's the end of that quote. When I say that quote, Ryan, what triggers in your brain? I, I love it for so <laughs> many reasons. Uh, first of all, I think this quote comes from the book Sapiens, yeah. where uh, Yuval Noah Harari paints humanity as a storytelling uh, species. Mm-hmm. He says that storytelling and our ability to work collectively, cooperatively, that is the thing mm-hmm. that makes humans special humanity as a, a systemic uh, single entity and it, it's crazy to me that how well he identifies that and just kind of lays it bare he calls it the story of money mm-hmm. right and that, another word for story that we might use is um in, in crypto is meme right. a meme of money the narrative of money because what actually is uh what actually is money other than a story other than a meme other than some shared belief that we all collectively reach consensus on that this particular piece of paper or these digits in a bank account somewhere has value. Well, the reason this is so fundamentally important to me is because like, um, I think that for most of my life prior to crypto, I never gave a thought to what money actually is, right? I just kind of take it for granted. I've never, I, I never kind of considered that um, it takes a collective group of humans all thinking the same thing about money for a money to actually manifest. And if suddenly we all stop viewing a certain piece of paper or a certain denominated uh, digit as money, then it ceases to be money. It's so weird, this ability to kind of manufacture something from nothing through shared uh, cooperation and shared coordination. But that's exactly what we do with things like money. There are other institutions like this, of course, like, you know, he talks about the the LLC, the corporation. These are also shared stories, figments of our imagination. But money is perhaps the most powerful because it is underneath all of the other things. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I think of when I hear this quote. 
Yeah, and I think that's really great context. And we're going to start to apply some of these thoughts about storytelling behind money because it's not constrained to just money, actually. Like, think about Tesla stock. Great story behind Tesla stock, and perhaps that's why the valuation on Tesla has been so high. And so this is really, the story goes beyond money, and it's really just finance, right? There's a, there's a market capitalization to a lot of assets and the, how valuable these assets are, are a large part about the story of the fundamentals being told. And so it's one thing to have fundamentals, but it's the story around fundamentals that really creates that market price in the secondary markets. We just got done with our podcast with Chris Berniski and the theme of that episode was really about how markets are just psyche. And when there is a story told about something, that is the world of finance. Finance is about the difference, the elevation of the value of assets above and beyond their fundamentals to bake in future growth. And if you can tell a good story, you can tell a good story about future growth, you end up ultimately impacting the valuations of these assets. And so I, I want to pause there too, right? Mm-hmm. On this idea of like somebody's, I know somebody's thinking in their back of their mind is going to throw their hands up at this point in time. And they'll say, but David, I went to business school. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I got my MBA and uh, they told us how to value companies, mm-hmm. right? It's discounted cash, uh, net present value of discounted future cash flows, right? So it's DCF model, discounted cash flows, you model that over time and you get the value. Just because uh, things trade off of their fundamental value, you know, um, doesn't mean that like they have fundamental value. The fundamental value is driven by, as I was taught in business school, discounted um, net present value of discounted future cash flows basically, right? Mm -hmm. Even that though, pause and think for a second, even that model itself discounted value of future cash flows that is a story right it's mm-hmm. just a story that we all re- you know uh, reach consensus on sometime between like the 1940s and 1970s and it's a story that become so popular it was put into business school textbooks and how to value a company and baked into our psyche but it's still a story right. and it's a good story and it's perhaps the correct story as in it is the correct way to value an asset but is it is a story nonetheless you can and never escape it being a story. It's only correct if we all agree it's correct. Right. Mm-hmm. We could all decide to say, no, actually, you know, profit doesn't matter anymore. It's all about growth. It's all about revenue. Mm-hmm. And you kind of change the, you know, change the, the way you fundamentally yeah. value. You just change the story and then you change the valuation of every company. In fact, I think some, somewhat that, that's what sort of happened with stocks and other assets over the last 10 years. So right. just even when you think there's not a story is the point, there's still a story yeah. behind uh, the value. <laughs> that is the story, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And so this brings us to the question, all right, what is crypto doing? It's doing a lot of things, uh, distributed systems, solving the Byzantine general uh, problem. I think in the context of this episode, I'll make the claim that crypto is shattering the current story of money. And the current story of money is a paradigm of fiat currencies and largely just the U.S. dollar. If you look at the market cap of all fiat currencies, the story of fiat currencies is really the story of the U.S. dollar, especially when a lot of fiat currencies are just based around the Fed, basically. And so what is crypto doing? It's shattering this story. Uh, And so I'm going to share my screen here real quick and share uh, what I think really breaks the fourth wall of money. which is the $1 trillion coin. We are looking at a coin that is worth $1 trillion. I don't think this thing ever got minted, but like the thought experiment itself is the point. Where like, to me, the, the idea of the $1 trillion coin like goes full circle about the farce of fiat money. That's, it starts to like break through and puncture the fabric of reality for so many people. When they see a $1 trillion coin, it really begs the question, all right, what's money? And so crypto obviously didn't produce the $1 trillion coin, but at the same time that crypto is arriving on the scene, the fiat money system starts to fall apart. And so we are starting to puncture through one story as another story arrives on the scene. And this new story is, is crypto money, right? Is, is well, but, but the $1 trillion coin, this is not just a, um, a fabrication. This is actually a serious proposal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a serious it's a proposal, yes, which it, is then treated emerged- by a, as a farce by the crypto industry because we get it. Well, I, I recall it like uh, originally emerging during the um, you know, the debt ceiling crisis mm-hmm. way back in you know the early 2010s as uh, you know something that was um, a serious proposal by Congress mm-hmm. at the time, and then I recall recall it uh, emerged. Do you remember in March uh, 2022, the beginning of uh, COVID, Rashida Taleb in 
was an advocate of this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, she was talking about this, this could be a good measure to take uh, in response to sort of some of the debt cycle right. type issues involved mm-hmm. with COVID. So these are actually serious proposals right. by our government bodies and our legislators and those in, in powers. The $1 trillion coin is not just a thought experiment. It's like an actual proposal. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's an actual proposal from the people who are still inside of the story of fiat money. And then the crypto people who have like really deeply thought about what is money understand that this is a farce from our perspective because we were kind of like, quote unquote, enlightened to this concept of money. Like we understand the concept of money. And so this is to me, this is what really crypto is doing. It's shattering the current story of money and it's taking the power around storytelling around money and it's giving it to everyone. Right. Like make a new blockchain, make a new token. Uh, this ability, I've, I've minted an ERC-20 token. I've minted a handful. I have the power to mint new tokens. And if I wanted to, I could engage in a storytelling campaign about my tokens, right? Except, so I want to make a, a clear difference is that crypto is shattering the illusion of the dollar, but in its place, it's not giving us another new money. It's giving us a new ability. It's not Indiana Jonesing where it's taking away one money and replacing it with another, although the Bitcoiners would love to tell you that that's what it's, their Bitcoin is doing. Instead, it's crypto shattering one story of money and giving us the ability to tell any story about money. So we're not getting a new crypto money to replace dollars. We're getting a new ability. Does that difference make sense? It, it does make sense. And I think that the, maybe the link here with the story of the $1 trillion coin is... What made that so audacious is that the U.S. government was essentially saying, we can mint a trillion dollars at any point in time. Right. Mm-hmm. They're basically saying, like, uh, yeah, all of that point system that's out in the economy, um, we control it, and we can inflate the number of points at any point in time, mm-hmm. and we get to control that, right? And what you're saying, I think, that is, um, well, crypto gives that power into the hands of the people, right. into the hands of communities and it sort of lays bare that um this is always what people do right right is is basically like it's it's all about a shared story and a narrative and Mm -hmm. somebody has the ability to mint every money system that was ever invented and generally a small group had the power to mint right now this is democratizing that ability the power the power to mint Uh, and what you're saying though is that it's a broader story it's Mm -hmm. more about kind of the verb of being able to mint rather than a specific yes. coin kind of knocking out all of the previous versions of, of minted coins. Because if crypto just came in and said like, oh, the dollar's out, here's the new money, it's kind of like old boss, same as the new boss. It's really much more powerful if crypto gives us the power to make any money. That is, and, that, and that's also in line with the progress of the internet, right? Before we had, before the internet, we had like, I don't know, like six, five, a handful of, telecommunications news broadcasting services and then the internet came and then we had like 10,000 bloggers right and so new technology comes and it enables a thousand of what was previously centralized and controlled and elite to be democratized to the masses and so this is what crypto is doing with money we have a few fiat currencies mainly the dollar also the euro japanese yen And instead of just like replacing it with a new, better version, it's just opening up the ability to make any of these things up to everyone, to the free market, right? So it's it's replaced the dollar with the ability for any money to come into existence. And so that is really what 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 is crypto here to do? It's here to democratize the power to mint new assets and let the money what what money becomes adopted as a result of that up to the free market, rather any sort of like top down and controlled authority. And David, let me ask you, when you're saying money, you're mm-hmm. using that as shorthand for any asset that is valuable. Yes. Am I right correct. in that? Uh, yes, so any you, asset. Honestly, including saying, NFTs. Any asset that has a premium to it. So you're not just saying, let me, let's be clear about this. You're not just saying when you say, when we're using the term money in this episode, we're not just th- saying things that are a store of value, medium right. exchange, unit of account, things mm-hmm. like the dollar or the mm-hmm. euro or the yen mm-hmm. or like, you know, nation state currencies. We're also saying like the stock, for instance, the additional mm-hmm. value um, that, you know, you might store in, in stock. That would be a type of money, a type Correct. of asset. Right. Talking, the power mm-hmm. to mint stock, mm-hmm. um, the power to mint different other forms of, of collectibles. 
I would say. Um, is that correct that 100%. when you're saying money, you mean it's that broad? It's really like assets, I think, would be the correct word, but money is like more fun of a word and more striking. But it's really the yeah. power to mint new assets. And this is also where we get into conversations of just like the authorities, the powers that be don't like it when the people of the world can mint new assets because how do they tax it, right? Like how like the, the Romans don't want other people to make new money because that they had the power of seniorage. And if other people could make new money, it reduces their power to issue new coins. And so like the powers that be, one of the, way, one of the core ways that the powers that be of whatever organizational system that has come throughout history, one of the ways that they maintain power is they maintain control over the asset printer, the money printer, the ability to mint new assets. And so now that we have that power, we have experienced three bull markets. And this is what the subject of the rest of this episode is going to be, is like, what do humans do when we have this power? Like, what is our behavior when we are expressing this new power that we have, which is the ability to mint new assets? Right. That's kind of what we've seen playing out. So I, so I guess if you are an empire, the one thing, the one story that you have to enforce is the, your story around money, because that gives you kind of control mm-hmm. over your sprawling empire. But OK, let's talk about this. So if crypto was really basically giving individuals the power to mint new assets, um, what it, what patterns do we see play out mm-hmm. in all of these bull cycles previously? Is it is it sort of the case where in each of these bull cycles previously, maybe we can need to get in the history of this, but in each of these bull cycles, we've got this new power to mint money mm-hmm. or tokens or assets. Remember, yeah, money synonymous with those things. Mint something like this. And then we use that power, flex it up to the ma- to the max, and then mm-hmm. something happens to cause, like we, we take it too far. Yeah. Uh, tell, us about, tell us about the pa- how we've like used the power to mint new assets in crypto historically. Yeah, so looking back at the bull markets that we're going to we're going to dive into every individual bull market um, just to explore and unpack each one. We'll do an autopsy of every single bull market. The the patterns I've I've identified is that first there's a trigger, something new happens, something net new, brand new onto the scene, and second, as a result of that, a Cambrian explosion happens because of this new thing that we've unlocked. Uh, this new reason to mint money, this new uh, kind of money that we're printing in the crypto world. Uh, so a Cambrian explosion happens. That's phase two. Phase three is corruption sets in. Uh, grifters come because all of this money, this new money printing is happening all over the place and people are trying to get their hands on on it. And then they overprint. They over overprint. Exactly. They overprint. Uh, they overissue. They're not responsible. And then as a result of that, a collapse happens. And that's phase four. Uh, so trigger, Cambrian explosion, corruption, collapse, collapse. These are the four phases I've identified in every single bull market. Do you know what's funny about this? This Mm. this almost reminds me of um, Ray Ray Dalio's um, idea of long-term debt cycles. Oh, really? Across kind of nation states and empires. Well, it basically plays out like this. Mm -hmm. There's some sort of like trigger for the U.S., you know, in um, Bretton Woods. It was the end of World War II, dominant power. That was kind of the trigger. And then you get Cambrian explosion of the U.S. economy and the dollar. It's everywhere. It now becomes the petrodollar. Mm-hmm. It dominates the uh, medium of exchange and unit of account all around the world. 70% of all you know values traded in dollars at this point in time. Then you see corruption starting to set in. Mm-hmm. Huh. We could just mint this We can make new coin. money? <laughs> Can't we? This is interesting. Well, these, these are seeds of the corruption. And then later, this is Dahlia's prediction, um, at some point, all of these empires that create and harness money as part of their empire, they collapse mm-hmm. after the corruption sets in. They have to relieve all of this debt. So what's interesting is the pattern you establish for crypto uh, actually happens over the, like, what is Dalio's cycles? Like 70-year periods of mm-hmm. time. Sometimes empires go through a few of these cycles, in like, you know, hundreds of, of years type period of time. When crypto just happens, like, like real fast. Real fast. Like every four years uh-huh. we do this. <laughs> And uh, we repeat it because we don't learn the lessons because, you know, what is the common denominator between everything here? Humans. It's just us. We have the same behaviors. We have the same DNA. We have the same brains. It doesn't matter what cycle it's on. Uh, the, the fact that humans, like all financial markets are ultimately based on human collective brain power means that these same patterns are going to happen again and again and again, which is why we want to teach this lesson to the bankless nation, because this is going to happen again. Uh, We're going to do this again. Yeah, Next exactly. bull market. It will play out just like this. I promise you to a T. Are you all ready right, to get well, into 20, 2013? Yeah, take us back to 2013. Okay, so Ryan, did you know in 2013, this is the earliest, I'm sharing my screen here. 
Uh, I'm the earliest snapshot of coin market cap. We can't even use CoinGecko because CoinGecko came after coin market cap. The earliest snapshot uh, coin market cap goes back to is the 5th of May 2013, where there is a whopping 10 crypto assets listed. Bitcoin, Litecoin, Namecoin, Peercoin, Feathercoin, Frycoin, Terracoin, Devcoin, Novacoin, Minacoin. Yeah, Frycoin. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually crazy that 20% of these tokens are actually still around, Bitcoin and Litecoin. Um, all the other ones have largely gone to zero. Up the top 10. Right. Well, k- k- let's, let's throw out these market caps. So uh, Bitcoin. $1.3 billion. billion. <laughs> wow. In the Litecoin, price at yeah. the time? Uh-huh. Uh, is $115. 115 for Bitcoin yeah. at the time. So we're looking at a total crypto market cap of about 1.4 billion 1. 4 or so. Billion, yeah. mm-hmm. Something like that. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so this is the state of where things are in 2013. Bitcoin had been around for four years now, three and a half years now. Uh, we're kind of into already this growing energy around Bitcoin price. Um, Litecoin was created in 2011. Uh, and Litecoin was just a fork of Bitcoin with very minute like parameters changed. Like they made the blocks faster. They did use a different hashing algorithm. Largely the same thing as Bitcoin. It's really just the same thing as Bitcoin. Just but there was a meme, right? It was there was like a meme. Bitcoin is gold. Litecoin is silver. Litecoin is silver. Uh, of right? course. Of course. You have a silver and gold. And so like the funny thing is like I think this will take too long to do. But if you like skip forward in the weeks, you'll kind of just see this. Look, I fast forward two more weeks. There's already four more coins. BBQ coin, if you will. Uh, and then you can <laughs> you can just see these prices like play out over time. Um but this is the idea. So this is the trigger. The trigger is Bitcoin was created. And then as a result of that trigger, people are like, oh, blockchains. Oh, internet scarcity. How about Litecoin? I'll just t- tinker with Bitcoin and I'll make a new one. And Litecoin came in and like created a, a you know, $50 million of value inside of a year. $50 million of value in a year. That's great. And so this is the trigger for this first ever Cambrian explosion in the crypto space, which was the proof of what we call the proof of work fork and fair launch era as in oh proof of work blockchains you can just fork bitcoin and make many more many many more of them and so kind of in the same era as like DeFi summer which was like yield farming in order to distribute there was like this fork and fair launch era where you could fork bitcoin you could fork litecoin launch a brand new token have a different way of distributing it different proof of work algorithm and that was that was super like innovative and so uh, this is where things got started. Uh, uh, American coin, meme coin, digital coin, Franco, CHN coin, BBQ coin, mega coin, fast coin. Dogecoin came out of this cohort. Dogecoin in 2013. Another Bitcoin fork. Uh, I think Dogecoin was a Litecoin fork, actually. Oh, um, okay. Which mm-hmm. is a fork of Bitcoin, right? So uh, it, it, the, send, it's a fork of the, the code base. It's not a fork of the blockchain, but yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, uh, we're watching these, like, prices play out, right? And we're watching the first bull market happen. Look, Bitcoin, it just hit $6 billion. Like, in one week, it goes from $326 to $490. That's insane. Wow. That's insane. Those are the days. Oh, well, we started this with Bitcoin price at 100 and now we're at $870. Mm-hmm. And I think, we're all, I think we actually just passed the peak right here, which is January of 2014. So we're on the, we're on the downtrend. But this is, okay, this is so- a pattern, right? Was that the um, the trigger then? We mm-hmm. had uh, Bitcoin is super successful, mm-hmm. and oh, it turns out you can fork other versions of, of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the trigger. Yep. Um, and then we saw the Cambrian explosion of all of these other coins. We, we should say some of these were new newer experiments, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. um, Peercoin was, was, I think, one of the first proof-of-stake coins. So you That's had right. some early dabbling of that. Yeah. Namecoin was – that was sort of a, a – ancestor of ens ens but as a blockchain domain service type of Mm -hmm. uh, blockchain um but a lot of these were were kind of just forks of bitcoin i guess xrp came out at that time yeah Mm -hmm. um all right so we got the the trigger i think Mm -hmm. we're seeing the cambrian explosion what about the corruption so what is the corruption part of the cycle so the corruption part of the cycle is we started in april of 2013 there were seven cryptocurrencies listed on coin market cap by the end of 2014 there were 513. So a year and a half, basically 500 new currencies were made. Now, do you think, Ryan, that in the early days of crypto, like no MetaMask, no Ethereum, like every single blockchain had its own wallet. How many like people were buying all of these assets? Enough Are to you su- asking, is, 
Is there demand for 500? And is there demand for plus? 500 currencies and also Bitcoin at a market cap of $10 billion back in 2013? $10 billion was probably insane back then, you know? God, I'm going to say, I'm going to say no. I'm yeah. going to say people got greedy or like, I guess a more charitable explanation. I don't know if you call this corruption is, but like, David, you just opened this episode and you said this is the power to mint money. People yeah. are using their powers. People use so the power. Minting See, money. Yeah. Why are you calling this corruption then? Uh, uh, well, I guess well, I wasn't there for 2013. Maybe corruption is perhaps semantics, but I think the the point is is like you're right. People use this new power to mint new money. There was also appetite to buy the new monies, so people wanted to go look at down the market cap stack on Bitcoin at 10 billion dollars. I'm going to buy made safe coin at seven million dollars that's a better deal uh and i can there's more upside there maybe it's the next bitcoin and so like the whole like it maybe it's the next bitcoin like buying lower market cap assets because they want to buy to get rich people will take advantage of that you could imagine grifters come in and tell you like oh like uh you know xrp it's the next bitcoin it's going to be the swift of of the internet right and so like these narratives come in these storytellings come in people start to flex their storytelling abilities like why my money is better than your money uh probably like this is the genesis of like maximalism behavior about people being maximalist about that one particular coin it's funny like but maximalism was probably also part of the um the antidote to this problem yeah. of too many coins mm-hmm. you know it's basically like well no there is only one bitcoin there's so only ta- one bitcoin, stop yeah. talking about your like 50th name- fork exactly we we don't care about that right okay so uh by the end like i said by the end of 2014 513 cryptocurrencies listed on, on coin market cap uh if we get into the ico mania there are around the start of ICO mania. I'll stop sharing screen here. Uh, there well, are, are you skipping forward to the next era or did we do the collapse yet? Because Oh, that was a collapse. collapse. Collapse prices went to like basically zero. Everyone thought it was dead. <laughs> it was the first ever Bitcoin bubble. And so when Bitcoin goes from uh, where it was at like a $10 billion market cap to where it fell down below $1 billion market cap, the idea that like it was actually dead is probably pretty like easy to accept. It's like, oh, that was a one-time thing. Like that's never coming back. Like, it's easy to say Bitcoin always comes back after it's come back four times, but Bitcoin had never come back before then. Uh, and I so do remember the the narratives in this era, people were like, "I'm done with public blockchains." Right? right? It was mm-hmm. blockchain, blockchain, not, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it was the idea that oh well, enterprise blockchains could be a thing. There were all sorts of right. narratives. This was when this, IBM Hyperledger space. came around. It's a really brutal bear market. In right. fact, like I remember some of it. I wasn't nearly as plugged in, but like. Uh, that was definitely the era of Bitcoin's dead, never coming right. back. Mm-hmm. It was all a Ponzi all along. Mm-hmm. It you know got over a thousand in terms of price and fed, fell all the way back down to the hundreds, mm-hmm. never coming back after this. Hundred percent. And then that was like the 2014 to 2016 era, that two year long bear market where everyone everyone left except for the diehard believers. And you kind of had to be crazy to believe in Bitcoin at that time. Like to be the type of person to believe in Bitcoin bef- that it would come back before it had ever come back before, you kind of got to be an insane person. <laughs> and uh, insane in a good way too. Uh, okay, uh, ICO Mania, 2017. At the start of 2017, there were about 789 cryptocurrencies listed on CoinMarketCap. So only 200 added in the next two years after the first collapse of the first bull market. By the end of 2018, Ryan, in the, at, the, at the culmination of the ICO Mania, there would ultimately become over 200 or 2,000 cryptocurrencies. So 789 to over 2,000. Uh, 12 of them had over a billion dollar market cap. Now, this is called the ICO mania. I think, Ryan, you know the answer to this. What was the first ICO? The very first, oh, that would be Augur. Very first ICO. Right? Uh, no, uh, Augur was the very Besides first ICO Ethereum for a about? token. Yeah, Ethereum was the first ICO. Yeah. Uh, I think that's true. Um, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, so Ethereum, the, the first ever there, ICO. There may have been very smaller ICOs. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's the first one that gets referred to anyway. Yes, yeah, I think there was some on MasterCoin, but it was the first big one. Uh, it was the first ICO of like a public blockchain that was a very big deal. And this ICO was done in 2014. Ethereum raised something like $17 million, $25 million. Very... It, it ICO'd at inception. It was born into sin mm-hmm. as a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> yes, exactly. The pre-mine, 70% pre-mine. Uh, so Ethereum raised an ICO, very successful, uh, immediately had a positive return on investment as soon as the blockchain was up and running. Uh, and then later in 2015, there was this ICO called Augur. 
Augur was a prediction market. It was the first ICO for an ERC-20 token on top of Ethereum. This was a project spun up by Joey Krug, who's now at Pantera. I remember being very excited about Augur. Uh, sadly, Augur came, it arrived, it was built, no one really adopted it. But it was a very legitimate project that raised a bunch of money and captured the attention of a bunch of possibility and imaginations of people. That was the trigger. So we're back at phase one, back at phase number one of, oh, you can mint tokens and sell them for money in order to build something. And that was the ICO trigger. That was the, the trigger that led to the 2017 ICO mania. And this is the first time I think we started calling these things tokens more than cryptocurrencies. Yes, that's right. right. The, the t- 2013 sort of era was, we called all of these things still cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in uh, you know the twenty the the ICO mania that you know twenty fourteen twenty fifteen we started calling the things at least on top of Ethereum not cryptocurrencies but tokens mm-hmm. and Augur was the first I, I I suppose ICO for a token mm-hmm. and as you could imagine people realize oh I can solicit. Uh, for investment, they probably weren't using these words because this is uh, words that'll trigger nation state laws, but like I can advertise this project that I'm going to build and then sell a token and then promise that I'm going to build that thing. And then maybe I will, maybe I won't. I think you could imagine how this would trigger a bunch of just, you know, grifters and short termers who don't really care about the project that they purport to want to build. But, you know, millions of dollars started to flow into these ICOs and this started to snowball. This started to become mimetic. It's like, oh, that token just raised a hundred million dollars and all they had to do was make a website and a web page. Like I guess I will do that. And then we had a Cambrian explosion of ICOs. This is where this is the paradigm I was born under, Ryan. I don't know if you you, you came in a little bit, yeah, uh-huh, a little bit earlier. Yeah. So we so we had the trigger, which is Ethereum, the Cambrian explosion of these ICOs, and then you're starting to point to like the, the corruption, which is mm-hmm. everybody's doing an ICO then. And mm-hmm. I remember those days, David, in 2017. All you needed was a white paper. Yes, that was the joke. Like, you said a website, and like yeah, that's true to for the minting function, but like. The business plan was just this esoteric white paper. Right. And in fact, like that was, um, I don't know, the, the main question people ask is like, mm-hmm. can, can I read your white paper? Right. Right. And, but these ICOs were um, doing quite well. Oh, yeah. In terms of like the, the amount that they were raising, but also the values of mm-hmm. these tokens post token launch. So no, products hadn't necessarily been launched, mm-hmm. but tokens were definitely launched. And they were also pumping in price. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, people would uh, like raise money for an ICO. They would release the token to the blockchain, on the blockchain, on Ethereum. This is also where Binance got started because there was this insatiable desire to trade these tokens because we people wanted to speculate. It's like, is this token going to move faster than this token? What's that token's roadmap? Which token has a catalyst? Uh, and while like there was perhaps some meager amount of like fundamental development behind these tokens, it was mainly about this narrative game of who's got the best story, who, which team can tell the best story about their token? Why will this token accrue value? This is when we started talking about MV equals PQ. If you guys, if you guys remember that equation way back when, or the concept of token velocity and token sinks and all of this stuff. But it was really a storytelling exercise. It was like all these ICOs are just trying to tell a better story than all the other ICOs. So is that where the the corruption starts to slip in? When did we first get signs that uh, this whole ICO market was going to go south? Because there were some legitimate ICOs that were actually mm-hmm. building a product and, and trying to ship it. Even those were like massively stupid valuations. Mm-hmm. But like I would say 99% of yeah. all of these ICOs collapsed into nothing. No ship product, like nothing good even you know, came of it. Uh, and the vast majority of these were actually, I don't know if we'd call them scams. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly some of them were scams, but many of them just really had... Um, no merit mm-hmm. raising the kinds of funds that they did, or they would sort of exit scam slowly over time by like not shipping anything, <laughs> like massive overvaluation. When mm-hmm. did we get the first signs that this corruption was slipping into the ICO market? Yeah, towards the end of 2017, and I'll pull out this example. There's a number of like very bad ICOs that I can I can uh, pull back from memory. They all start to blur together. Uh, my first job in crypto was an ICO advisory company, and let me tell you, Ryan, some of the ICOs I had to work on <laughs> it was egregious that the fact that people even thought that these were a good idea. Um, but I'll draw attention to this one ICO, which was done as a farce, and this was called an ICO called Useless Ethereum Token. It was labeled as the world's first 100% honest Ethereum ICO. 
and the tagline is you're going to give some random person money on the internet and they're going to take it and buy stuff with it probably electronics let's be honest maybe even a big screen t tv seriously don't buy these tokens so this is uh uetoken.com i'm so happy that this website is still up and running uh but this was uh, basically a website saying hey i'm doing an ico my token that i'm building is called useless ethereum token i'm not going to do anything with it uh these are the sale terms uh i'm going to take your money and i'm going to buy stuff for me and also don't buy this token because i'm not going to do anything with it i love this faq wait is this a joke is it a scam neither this is real and it's 100 percent transparent you're literally giving your money to someone on the internet and getting completely useless tokens in return obvious satire but mm -hmm. somehow i've got to say probably this token pumped is that the story here yeah so how much money do you think this token raised uh, at the time so 2017 i bet it did a, a 10 million dollar raise it did about a million dollar raise this was the last snapshot i could get and then i had to look at the chain to actually get some numbers it, i think it did something like six hundred thousand dollars it raised six hundred thousand dollars which okay, is for nothing for, for hey the, at this point six hundred thousand dollars is actually a tiny tiny raise in this time in this day of time like yeah the telegram raised a billion dollar ico the ton the ton token telegram the app that we all know and use a uh, billion dollars like there were billion dollar like icos like left and right towards the end of this thing the crazy thing is ryan they, the useless ethereum token raised six hundred thousand dollars when the token went to trade it pumped it went up investors in the useless ethereum token made money because the token went to a secondary market and people bought it on this the secondary market too. this is in ethereum yes ETH. yes uh, and so this is in August of 2017. And so we still had a good number of like four months left in this bull market where Ether went from 600 to $1,400. And this is why people would do this. People would what issue a token and the token would go up. And so people would keep on issuing tokens because every time people would issue tokens, the price would go up. It was free money. Money was flying left and right. I think probably everyone listening can imagine this, this didn't end well. In fact, most of you know kind of your history of, of 2017 and it didn't end well. And uh, this is what you're calling corruption. I can't help but, but think that this is, this is corruption in some cases. In other cases, it's just bubble behavior. Mm -hmm. You might call this corruption in bubble, mm -hmm. like corruption in exuberance or something like this. Like the maker behind that token, <laughs> literally, it was satire, right? right. It's like, I'm taking, thank you for your donation. I'm giving you buying all this a money. I'm buying a TV. <laughs> yeah, I don't necessarily I wouldn't label that as like corruption. Right. He's just like if you want to give me money, mm -hmm. go ahead. Here's my donation address and yet it's still it's still pumped. So corruption and bubble behavior mm -hmm. is really what happens here. But what like then what happened next, I guess, uh with with the 2017 market? It was the collapse. 2018 was just like 2022. It was the peak, crypto markets peaked in December of 2017. It was down for 12 months in a row to when we bottomed in like December of 2018. So the collapse happened. Uh, people got overextended. Uh, ICOs got extremely fraudulent, extremely scammy. I literally, Ryan, worked on a token. It, it, this, was, this was when I started to get disillusioned by crypto. It was called Pet Community, uh, Pet Data on the blockchain. You would wear like, you know, like a Fitbit, Fitbit, but a collar for your dog and it would register data of your, about your dog's health and it would put it on the blockchain. <laughs> I shit you not. I had to work on that project. <laughs> wow. Um, move to earn for pets. Sure. Oh, this is health sure. data. Yeah. Uh -huh. I somehow feel like that could have been successful with different framing in 2021 <laughs> and 2022 as well. I don't know, man. There was, uh, was FastPass. So autonomous cars could use FastPass to pay other autonomous cars to have them move out of the way so the autonomous car could drive through uh, in you know, FastPass, like Disneyland. Um, yeah. Spot token. Spot was uh, you can sell your garage initially for like parking spaces but then the idea was that spot token would be just like the land it would just be land and people loved this story it was a good story do you know what's funny about this era it's like so there's all these stupid crazy icos but then there was also like a big exuberant market around layer uh one alternative so ethereum mm -hmm. alternatives mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so when it started it's yeah. basically like yeah if ethereum can launch all these tokens well then why don't we launch another ethereum that can launch a bunch of other tokens right right and so i remember if you like it, it was neo mm -hmm. which was the, the china of ethereum of china oh, yes <laughs> ethereum of china yeah mm -hmm. uh there was uh do you remember dragon chain yes which, i remember <laughs> dragon chain <laughs> dragon chain was like um dis like 
somehow there was this super nebulous, never confirmed connection to like Disney. Uh-huh. Maybe it was some like former Disney. Employee it was a wink, that, wink like, connection. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like people Disney's would a, people would announce one. their announce their they would say a partnership with Amazon. Yeah. We have a partnership with Amazon. What were they doing? Yes. They were yes. using AWS to host their website, and they use an announcement that we're partnering with Amazon to facilitate our ICO. Do you like, remember the Omise Go guy who's like he he took a skateboard uh-huh. and he took a picture of himself with a skateboard mm-hmm. in front of like Google's office, yeah, or something, uh-huh. and then like tweeted this out. Partnership with Google, yeah. It mm-hmm. was like partnership with Google and like token. It was so stupid. Yeah, every it, but done. it worked, and that's why it happened. It's because yeah, the story was told and the market accepted the story at the time. Okay. All right. So this was all caused because of minting, the power mm-hmm. to mint. Mm-hmm. Unleashes potential and also exuberant corruption, mm-hmm. bubble behavior, and then eventual bust. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same thing that we saw in the 2013 phase. I guess we saw a repeat in the 2017. Are you here to tell us that 2020, the 2021 phase or whenever you know, this kind of starts, 2020, I guess, to 2021, it's the exact same. I think you know the answer. <laughs> First, we, before we get to 2020 to 2021, uh, the, uh, 2017 and the ICOs was the uh, triggering of the ire of the SEC. This is when Enter SEC, Enter Player SEC came around. Um, Jay Clayton, a former agency chairman of the SEC, told a Senate in a hearing in February of 2018, I think, every ICO I've ever seen is a security because, Ryan... Of course it was. It was a solicitation of investment. Uh, It was an investment contract. It was literally a smart contract that was an investment contract for tokens. So no shit the SEC comes in. And this is when the nation state, going back to the original like state opening statements of this podcast, nation states, the powers that be, don't want the many to have the ability to mint new assets, to mint new money, because that is their power. That is how they can't maintain control. That's what they regulate. And that being out, a, outside of the regulatory well, appar- apparatus is like threatening to them. That is, a, that is kind of the nation states are evil sort of take. But sure. I think if you were a, a regulator, mm-hmm. um, you would say, okay, but I'm, we're just- But you guys just said how fraudulent they were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, what do you want us? People are asking us, the citizens of our country are asking us, mm-hmm. the governors of our country by, by means of- um, Congress and the president that you guys elected in your democracies asking us to protect our citizens. And this is our freaking job. Like this, so 100%. you're scamming retail. If you weren't scamming retail with these um, mania pumps, then we wouldn't have to step in. We don't want to control you. We're just trying to like uh, do our jobs and protect our citizenry. Right. Um, I think that would be their take on this. I think is that that a is, wrong take. I think that's a hundred percent fair take. Um, that okay. is their jobs. Uh, and, right. <laughs> and I don't really have any uh, the other counterpoint other than to also say that controlling the issuance of assets and money is another way that may, like the powers that be maintain control. Um, sure. Ryan, I think it's time to get into DeFi Summer and NFT Mania 2020 to 2021. But first, we have to talk about Uniswap, where we talk about all of these tokens that trade and also the rest of the bankless sponsors that make this show possible. All right, guys, we're back. Let's pick up the story here. So uh, we talked about some of the themes of all of these previous markets. You wanted to show us this, David. What is? What are we looking at? Yeah, this. I saw this from the comment uh, from the uh, YouTube chat during the commercial break. Uh, VeChain signs a working agreement with McDonald's. Uh, VeChain was a supply chain uh, blockchain back in 2017. I remember VeChain. Yeah. Uh, It had a a multi-billion dollar market cap, tens of billions of dollars. Uh, McDonald's had to tweet out, McDonald's has not entered into a cooperation or partnership with VeChain Foundation. The company is only using our burgers to feed their staff. Oh my god, <laughs> that is so that is corruption. Ooh, All right, that is not that's exuberant. Corruption. That is, that's corruption. That's that corruption at play. All right, so what can we glean from this? What what sort of pattern mm-hmm. can we uh, can we see echoed across all of these previous bull markets? Well, should we echo the these bust? patterns into 2020 and 2021? Because we yeah, still have one more, we, we still have one more bull market to go, brother. <laughs> Let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> okay, so we're in 2020, the start of 2020. There are now 3,000 cryptocurrencies. Uh, again, we started, we started the start of 2017 with 789. We ended 2018 with over 2,000 cryptocurrencies. We are entering this next phase of the bull market in 2020, next phase of crypto in 2020, with about 3,000 cryptocurrencies. By the end of 2020, which Ryan does not include 
2021 or 2022, by the end of 2020, the year of DeFi summer, there were over 5,500 cryptocurrencies listed on CoinMarketCap. And that's the number of cryptocurrencies, which is one dimension here. Another dimension is um, the size, the total market cap mm-hmm. of, of crypto, right? And so I think we were showing like, you know, something proximate in 20, 2013. We got to like 10 billion, maybe 15 billion, mm-hmm. something like that. And then the next cycle in 2017, how, like, how high did we get? We got in the um, hundreds of billions, didn't we? Yeah, let me uh, let me pull up uh, coin market cap and and I will answer that question. I don't I don't think we got quite to uh, we didn't get to a trillion. I know in the 2017 uh, market, but um, yeah, show us some coin market cap where we got. Uh, let's see. How do I do this? Um, this might take some jumping around. Oh, just go to coin market cap and like look at total uh, crypto market cap. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. I don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. One moment. She is the master chart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so in oh god, log scale. So in 2013, we peaked out at 13 billion dollars. In 2017, we peaked out at what? Was, what is that? 500 billion dollars? 570 billion dollars? Oh, we almost got up oh, to one god. trillion. We almost, we almost got up got to one trillion. trillion. Look at that! What yeah. a ma- like what a that's just an order of magnitude difference in terms of size. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then we t- down we fell down to almost below 125 billion 125 billion at the bottom of 2018 and then we got up to three ish three trillion in 20 this last bull market this last bull market well it's interesting it's not nearly like the difference you know 700 billion to three trillion Mm -hmm. is much different than like 12 billion to uh 700 right. billion right this i mean honestly this i wasn't in this cycle you weren't in this cycle but this first cycle of course the first cycle of crypto is the best cycle to be in it's where all the, the games most are. epic run up ever <laughs> ever yeah the most insane thing yeah where it takes and almost like, no money to move the price the difference is like uh we created tokens in this market cycle mm-hmm. i guess yeah which that's that a might good take. be the big minting unlock here it's easier um, to make value with tokens than it is with layer one blockchains i think that's a great take Right. Well, like, and, and then so going into 2020, we, we had already had this invention of tokens. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, take us to 2020. What, what were we seeing then? Yeah. So the trigger for 2020 DeFi summer was compound governance. Compound released the idea of a governance token. And all of a sudden tokens go from like to get that token out of my face. I don't want to see another token because the last time someone showed me a token, it was an ICO that went to zero. So, like, the appetite for tokens between 2018 and 2020 was absolutely zero. Compound releases compound governance and yield farming, invented yield farming. And all of a sudden, people are like, I can yield farm with tokens. I can get yield on my tokens. I love tokens. Tokens are great. And all of a sudden, tokens become in vogue again. And so this is one of the big points I want to drive home. Tokens, bull markets are not only... We create a reason to mint new assets. In 2013, it was we can make new blockchains. In 2017, we can mint new ERC-20 tokens. In 2020, it was we can yield farm because these tokens have value now with governance. But also, it creates the appetite to receive these tokens, to buy these tokens. In bear markets, everyone flees up the market cap stack to Bitcoin and then later to Bitcoin and Ether. In bull markets, people flee down the market cap stack because they want the low cap tokens because tokens are in. And so the trigger the, the trigger for 2020 is compound governance and liquidity mining. Uh, yams, if you remember yams, also a big trigger of just this Cambrian explosion of yield farming. And so appetite for, more, for buying tokens and issuing more tokens comes back. And so what do we do? We mint a bunch of tokens once again. And this was DeFi summer. The most lucrative part of the 2020 to 2022 bull market, by the way, was 2020 DeFi summer. It got scammy and bad in 2021 when corruption set in. Well, there's two, there's two dimensions to this because so I agree with everything you're saying. But let's also not forget about NFTs as a token. Right. And mm-hmm. we didn't see that massive, you know, what, whatever that was, 70x uh, increase in um, – fungible tokens Mm -hmm. but we did see that kind of an increase in nfts yeah and it's we didn't just invent nfts in the 2020 to 2021 um bull run we had those previously 
but like they were barely used. Mm -hmm. Really, I consider sort of 2020 to be sort of the the birth of the first real NFT bull market. And that did see like 70x types of increases. And so we got this entirely new asset class. It's almost like in 2013, we figured out we had the ability to mint cryptocurrencies, other blockchains. In 2015 to 2017, we figured out that we could mint tokens. And in 2020, yeah, we figured out we could add yield uh, you know, to our tokens and that maybe some of the DeFi tokens weren't as valuable. But we also figured out this NFT thing, which mm-hmm. is a whole new minting experience. And that had the most massive bull market um, that I think we saw. It's just like from zero to all the way to kind of, you know, how, how many... Uh, tens of, of mm. billions of dollars the NFT market landed, um, but uh, just grew from nothing. Yeah, and it, it really triggered parts of the brain that other like ERC-20 tokens just hadn't. ERC-20 tokens, highly financial in nature, right? Fungible tokens, there's no like character. There's no culture in those. ERC-20 tokens are unique. There's art. There's things to look at. There's pixels. And so it triggered the appetite for so many people. For so many people, it's like, I didn't really care about crypto, but NFTs are interesting to me. And it lights up a new part of the brain. It triggered an a- the appetite for buying these things. And especially during the early days when like a CryptoPunk in 2018 was one Ether, like the appetite is also condu- like, conduced by the fact that these things are always going up in price. And so like they, no one has like a, a anti-NFT bias here because every time they buy an NFT, they make money because it goes up in price, which furthers people's appetite to buy more NFTs. So like the first half of the bull market, very strong appetite for NFTs. Then things like a shitty Fiverr project comes out, shitty NFTs come out, the minting process sucks, gas fees happen, and all of a sudden people's appetite for NFTs lessens. And then of course the corruption just goes from a little bit to a lot, turns up to a T, uh, we have scams, we got rug pulls, we got all this stuff. And all of a sudden the market turns over once again, because there's a flurry of activity going around and that triggers the grifters. The grifters come, they can smell all the money and then they come in and do their grifting stuff. They suck out all the money from the market and then they leave us with like a, a bear market and a collapse to deal with. Yeah. The grifters are definitely, um, responsible in that play. And yet so are we as the exuberant sure. people who are buying their bags Grifters can't grift you if you don't buy their 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 asset or their right. product. Yeah. But what we saw was exactly what you're saying is the trigger, the explosion in mm-hmm. all of these minting, all of these tokens, all of these assets, the corruption and the exuberance setting in, and then the collapse. And of course, here we are at the beginning of 2023, post-collapse. This is like 2018. This is like, I guess, 20, 2014 again. And this is all happening. So what is the trend at play here, David? The trend is uh, something we've talked about on Bankless before. I'm showing my screen of the euthanasia roller coaster, the frequent meme that you should definitely understand in crypto. Uh, the euthanasia roller coaster is a uh, concept for a roller coaster designed to kill its passengers. So it's one gigantic, like very steep incline to a very, very high point. And then, then the roller coaster starts to fall down and gain acceleration. And then it does a series of loop-de-loops, seven loop-de-loops. And the loop-de-loops are getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter as they go along. And the idea is that, I'll read from this uh, caption here, uh, the creator of this roller coaster wanted to create a way in that this roller coaster kills its passengers with elegance and euphoria. It is a it's ride a thought experiment, to the death. By the way. It's a thought experiment. Right, yes. This does not exist. Maybe but it, but it, it will kill you. Too. It will kill you. Yes. Because, yes. because you're sustaining G-forces for too long. So it's a ride to the death. The seven loops or inversions put the human body under such stress that it causes the brain to be starved of oxygen and the heart simply cannot push blood against the enormous G-forces. It's designed to kill you, but it's at least a fun death. Uh <laughs> Kind of like a bull market, right? Like the longer you stay in the bull market, like the more loop-de-loops you're going around. But if you don't sell by the end of the bull market, you're going to get crushed, right? That's, that's the lesson I took out of the, the Chris Berniski episode that we just did. So this yeah, is the pattern each, of every single bull market. It's a euthanasia roller coaster. Each of these loops are like tighter and um, and kind of like, I guess I guess worse, and sort of repeating repeating fractals of, of the first Um and that's, what, that's why we see this massive quality difference between the first versions of the minting for mm-hmm. that token and, like, the, the final versions of the minting of the token. You start with something that's so, cre- like, very creative, mm-hmm. something like a CryptoPunks, for example, mm-hmm. and you end with some, like, Kevin 
Do you remember, do you remember that NFT? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, the Pixelmon. The Pixelmon, yeah. <laughs> it's just like pe- people were minting NFTs from Fiverr contracts, mm-hmm. like where they would just be like, you know, d- design me these uh, NFTs very quick, quick and dirty. I mean, look at even like um, some of the Donald Trump NFTs. Like, <laughs> recently. It's like stock images, right? Of his body. And Stolen just, stock like, images. Very, very low effort. Mm-hmm. uh token minting that is is clearly not going to sustain into the long run that's that's how these markets always end um all right so w- what is the takeaway around mm-hmm. this is david is the takeaway here that like um okay minting is bad power and this is why nation states were right all along and empires were right all along <laughs> yeah that's like, exactly that's exactly what i believe uh this is now the statist <laughs> podcast <laughs> well i mean some people will say that they'll be like all right, you're saying how great it is to give the people the power to mint, mm-hmm. but I'm not seeing greatness across right. these three uh, cycles. Is that just the cynical take? Is there some greatness hidden? What are like the the good things about it, and then like what are what are the bad things about it? Yeah, so the good thing is it's good and bad. And like, is technology good? No, technology is evil. Humans are I no oh, no excuse me. Technology is neutral. <laughs> Humans are either good or evil based off of their behaviors and what they do. And so techno- neutral technology can get corrupted or it can, what's the opposite of corruption? Uh, it can get used in very healthy and productive and proactive and socially ex- like productive ways. It depends on who's using it. Uh, and so there's this like resistance to nation state laws, resistance to the SEC. We don't want OFAC to come and censor our blockchain. And so that's great. I 100% believe in that. We, as humans, now have the power to mint new money. That is a power that we have in our back pocket. We can mint new tokens. We can make new blockchains. We can make new NFTs. This, this power, which was previously only held by the elite, is now democratized. And that power is something I fundamentally believe in. It's good for humans to have the maximum amount of tools at their disposal because the free market will eventually sort out, okay, that money that that human made is bad, but this money that these humans made are good. And so the market will start to adapt and answer to that. I believe in the free markets. Ultimately, after much chaos and settling of dust, we will settle on a brand new money that's uh, brand new and like not fiat money and much better because it's community adopted, bottom up to d- adopted. This is why I'm a fan of Ether. Um, but at the same time, with great power comes the great responsibility. We now have the power to mint new money and grifters also now have the power to mint new money. And that is something to watch out for. And so we have this resistance to nation state authority But we have to remember, and this is why we did those securities episodes at the beginning of this year, to explore, like, securities laws date back, Ryan, to, like, 1,200, back way, way, way long ago, like, very early. And then they also adapted and, and grew and grew and grew because humans realized that if everyone has this power to mint assets, to make a company, make an LLC, whatever... Some people will corrupt it. And so we came together as a society and and bestowed the power of self-regulation unto a certain authority. The SEC is that authority for us. Perhaps you don't believe that the SEC is no longer a good faith actor and they've also become corrupted. But the idea is that the need to self-regulate is bestowed upon us. And so this is my call to action for the crypto industry We now have the power to mint new money. With great power comes great responsibility. If not the SEC, then who? Then us? What are we going to do about this new power that I believe is fundamentally good, but grifters can sneak in and corrupt it? How do we answer to this problem? How do we solve this problem of uh, grifters coming in and corrupting every single bull market that ever will ever happen in crypto. Because if we want this, if we want the super cycle to ever happen, Ryan, it's going to be because we figured out how to self-regulate and keep grifters out and allowed for sustainable and real fundamentally fundamentals-based asset minting to come about. So that's my call to action. That's why I wanted to do, do this show. If we want to resist like three-letter agency control over our industry, we need to self-regulate ourselves. We need to do something, and I don't know what that is. But that is my call to action for the Bankless Nation. Well, I, I think that's a good take. And I think doing that will obviously alleviate some of the pain. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, listener, um, once you understand how these market cycles work, uh, you'll understand the next one. Mm-hmm. Because um, 
it, look, guys, it's going to play at the exact same it, way. The exact right? same way. All right, so there's going to be some trigger in the future. Look, maybe it starts in 2023, uh, 2024. That trigger will be related to the minting and the creation of some sort of token mm-hmm. or maybe it's a new way that we we are minting things or it's mm-hmm. a new distribution mechanism or it's a new way we're adding value to our existing tokens and narratives will form from this there'll be something there there'll be the seed of something that is incredibly useful there very real very innovative very yeah. awesome that'll be the trigger guys we we don't actually know what it is and in, in advance it was impossible to call all of these but i think you, you can recognize it in the early stages uh, and then what you'll have is the Cambrian explosion of this experiment was successful and it gets repeated, 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 repeated. Mm-hmm. You know, the first, you know, 10 to 20% of those experiments will probably be pretty wholesome, mm-hmm. pretty healthy, pretty yeah. useful. But pretty then fun. we'll It'll go around and around uh-huh. on the ro- roller coaster. It'll get worse and worse and worse and loose will get tighter and we'll start to like lose our oxygen and uh, it'll play out and we'll eventually... <laughs> mm-hmm. It'll die and well, reset. You, you will need to get off the roller coaster at some point. In yeah, time. so you don't die. And like, I, th- I think that's, um, look, how can we prevent this? You can be educated. You can understand how this works. You can protect yourself. A- at some level, though, David, I, I do think that, um, yes, it would be nice if we all held hands and were like, we're going to self-regulate, and mm-hmm. here's exactly how we should do it. I've not seen that play out in yeah. any of the cycles I've kinda, been part of. Sadly, kind of bearish on that. I think there have been some efforts towards that, and we've made progress every cycle, but I don't think it's going to fully play out this cycle either. However, what I will say is um, the healthy part of this, these cycles is, is how quickly they happen, mm-hmm. and all of the veterans who've been on this roller coaster before, like they, they kind of know. Mm-hmm. Like we, can, we can sort of spot it, and um, I do think that the grifters will, will come, but what happens at the end of these cycles is all of that excess and scamminess and fraud and margin and all of the corruption actually like gets burnt off mm-hmm. in like a healthy way mm-hmm. you know we've we've used um, the analogy of sort of the woods and if it's sort of in older you know woods lots of foliage falls right. dry twigs and leaves mm-hmm. that sort of thing underbrush um, yeah yeah it's all the all the uh, underbrush falls it's actually a healthy process for the forest to go through some sort of um, fire rejuvenation period to burn mm-hmm. that off so that new new plants, new life, new trees can actually grow in its place. And we have that happen in crypto. That, I think, is the regulatory um, effect. Sure. This is, in, sure. in some ways, David, yeah. um, yes, we can save ourselves some yeah. pain. Mm-hmm. But like the, if we don't do it ourselves at the social layer, which like I don't know if we can. I, right. I don't know if all the bankless podcasts in the world can hold the scammers and fraudsters at bay here, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if the most educated crypto community can because a whole nother set of the population is going to come in and just be like, what? Mm-hmm. You boomers, you don't know anything. This you time, dumb ETH maxis. <laughs> yeah, this time it's different and here's why. And they'll go fall for it and they'll have to learn the lesson the hard way. But I think through the process of exuberant, market failure, collapse, mm-hmm. total wipeout, no bailout on the other right. side, yeah. that is actually how we're leveling up. True. Because every single cycle... We get 10x, 20x, 30x, an order of magnitude more useful in terms of the application value creating the world than, than the previous cycle. Um, everything gets better and values increase mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, the new ceiling, the, the old ceiling becomes the floor That's for right. the future cycle. That's right. So, yeah. Anything else you want to say to end this thing? And that concludes this episode, I believe. Classroom time with Bankless. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Of course, uh, the power to mint money. That has been the episode. Um, I'll end with this, our typical risks and disclaimers. Gotta warn you that, of course, this crypto roller coaster is pretty risky. It will kill you. (laughs) It could kill you. You could lose what you put in is our way of saying it. But we are headed west. This is a frontier. It's not for everyone. But we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. 